I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's only one word that matters in business in the early days, and that is the word survival. Whilst you're alive, throw yourself 100% into whatever you do and make the best of this wonderful life that we all lead. Hello and welcome to the Voom podcast from Virgin Media Business and to the final episode in this series, exploring disruptive business, past, present and future with the world's most exciting entrepreneurs in conversation. I'm Nikki Beatty and on today's show, we're discussing the importance of building a community with two business founders who've put the collective mentality at the heart of their mission. Our first guest is best known as co-founder and chief inspirator of not on the high street, the online marketplace home to over 5,000 small businesses who produce unique handcrafted and personalised products. It's a huge British success story and one that's left a mark on many households across the country and at Christmas, a big dent in my bank account. Now, though, 10 years on, this entrepreneur is taking further steps to help small businesses with a new venture called Holly & Co. They provide artisan advice and inspiration to makers and creators across the country. A warm welcome to the founder, Holly Tucker. Thank you. So you were officially chief inspirator at Not On The High Street, which we'll talk about later. What's your title at Holly & Co.? Oh, <laughs> I actually haven't created a title for myself. I, uh, the the cheerleader springs to mind. Um, so I like that. Chief cheerleader. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I have a lot to say about titles and what they really mean. I think it's a, a much more about what you actually do than what you're called. And I think you're going to share those sort of jargon attitudes with our next guest, because joining Holly is another businesswoman who's made it her mission to connect creatives. Her business is called The Dots, and it's been described as a LinkedIn for the creative industry. And through its online platform, it connects freelancers, graphic designers, videographers and copywriters to each other and to work. So welcome to Pip Jamieson. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So Pip, could you give us a quick summary of your mission at The Dots, just to set the scene for us? Yeah, I mean, I I used to work at MTV and I was just really struggling with LinkedIn. It's just so corporate and it's built for a kind of a different generation that wears suits. So our mission is to support what we think is the future, which is the future workforce of creators. So, And we do that by helping them promote themselves, but also helping them connect with opportunities. But our whole mission is to better connect the creative world so that we can produce better outcomes and also support the workforce of the future. We're going to dive into more information about both your businesses in a little while. But first of all, why has the concept of creating a community been so important to you both? Holly? 
Well, for both my businesses, but for NotOnTheHighStreet.com, it was never going to succeed unless there was a community, both sides, a community of believers who worked at the, you know, the HQ. But actually, it was about the collective of small businesses that we were putting together. And actually only have one or two, it wouldn't have succeeded. It was about having critical mass, having a group of people that all shared in the same product and, and what they produced. They were lifestyle businesses coming together. And that Thus, the collective created the marketplace, created, you know, the 250,000 products that we have on the site, created the infrastructure of support that they all rely on um, between each other through their growth journey. So, you know, really, not in the high street would have been nothing without that collective. And similarly, whilst growing Holly & Co, it's nothing without the community that we're creating. Pip, what about you? Oh, you know what? I mean, creativity doesn't happen in isolation. So for us, it was so important to bring together the whole ecosystem of people that bring creative ideas to life. So you can have a rock star designer, but if they're not supported by a brilliant manufacturer or a brilliant producer, that product or that vision is never going to get off the ground. So for us, the fundamental importance is bringing together a community so they can actually create magic. Magic, I like that. <laughs> so to aspiring entrepreneurs listening, what would you say the immediate advantages are of thinking of business as a community? Would you go as far as to say that people should actually be forming their own gangs? Gangs with a nice connotation, not a bad connotation. Yeah, well, on my business card, I had the word gang. Um, I was told I wasn't allowed to have that. But, Were um, you? Well, no, it, it, you know, people who know better. Um, but I love the word gang because... Because um, exactly that, I believe that the future is that we can create these small groups or medium-sized groups in local communities, towns. So, for instance, not in the high street, you know, the partners, and we call them partners because we're only as good as the partnership, is spread across the country. And so, actually, they get together in Manchester, or they get together in Dumfries or in, in Brighton, and they support each other. So, it could be that Christmas is coming up and they need to understand, has anyone else um, suffered the same issues that they have? Or they suddenly need an amazing um, distributor or something like that they can get together and troubleshoot those issues so little gangs and groups and communities are so important even within the collective pip do you like the word gang yeah, actually, I do. <laughs> like, I think we should rebrand gang. I do. Let's I... rebrand gang. It's because... got such negative connotations. Let's, let's make it positive. Absolutely. <laughs> Holly, take us back to the beginning of your story in terms of the first steps into entrepreneurship and where the concept of helping other businesses actually came from. It came from not really looking to actually help businesses. It actually just came from the fact that um, there's a long backstory, but ultimately we wanted to bring two groups of people together who we knew wanted to know each other, but you just couldn't at that point in time. This is back in 2005. So this is pre-smartphones and things. So th these two groups of people would only never ever meet maybe on a high street that was declining. Um, the boutiques were shutting down. 
down, the independents were shutting down, or at the time I was creating events, fairs. And so it was literally under a town hall's roof. So this was so backwards in coming forwards when you think that, um, you know, the top retailers in the country would have loved to have got their hands on these on these products. So actually, it was much more about allowing the customer to discover the small business and the small business to discover the perfect customer. And then when we brought those two groups of people together, and I act as if that was really, really easy, <laughs> it was really, really not easy because the only marketplaces, uh, well, first, we didn't even use the word marketplace because it didn't exist, mm. um, was Amazon and eBay. So we didn't really have anyone to look at and for inspiration. So we created Not on the High Street, and that was the pure concept of introducing these two people together and allowing that relationship to flourish, allowing a customer to show really who she is. So whether that's through thoughtful gifting, but also what she buys, it's self actualization She was able to be creative. She might not have been able to make something, mm. but she could buy something that she identified with. And you say she, but was it very much with a with a woman in mind? Oh, yes, 100%. Yeah. 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 Get, you know, men, give up. I mean, you know, sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, I've done it now. You know, I wouldn't have said that my first year, uh, definitely. But I'm now, you know, 14 years into supporting small business. And I, I now, I'm a bit old now. So I just sort of say, you know, the gifting market, yeah, you, you know, still after a decade of trying to get him to shop maybe before Christmas Eve, it just doesn't happen. So, yes, my efforts are on the, the female who is the CEO of the household anyway, let's face it. Um, <laughs> and so she, I concentrate on her, yes. I like that, CEO <laughs> of the household. Uh, Pip, you were formerly head of marketing at MTV in New Zealand. How did you make the jump to what you do today? Yeah, I mean, it was so strange. I was never one of those people that wanted to be an entrepreneur and startups weren't really a thing. Um, so I, I literally just wanted to solve a problem I was having at MTV. So what was happening is me and my mates were working in a completely different way than that traditional sort of white collar workforce. You know, we were adopting portfolio careers. We were more of my friends were freelancing, gigging. Um, and even if we were going to jobs, we were kind of like job hopping all the, all the time. But we also had different preferences in our career so we wanted we cared about purpose over paycheck in many ways we cared about things like having a career that counted we cared about creativity and LinkedIn was just geared for this very corporate suity environment and so I just wanted to solve a problem I was having at MTV and that's kind of how it all evolved. So the community spirit and the uh, allowing people into that community or inviting them in how does it happen? I mean, how did you first reach out, Pip, for the dots? So we, we literally went totally grassroots. So we brought on a load of influencers on the dots when we first launched, and then they kind of spread the word. So the way the site works is people post projects, and then they've tagged the full teams around that project. So, for example, someone could put up this as the show today and tag you as the host, tag the engineer, tag me and Holly as people that are being interviewed. And so the site works like a living wiki of projects and the people and teams behind it. And what companies love about that is they can find individuals who create projects, but they can find the whole team behind those projects. So people like Google, who's one of our clients, they'll go and actually find full teams, not just an individual. I was going to say, then it ends up you taking that whole little microcosm out. and But then do you run the risk of people only using certain people all the time? Or is that likely to happen anyway? Yeah, we fix the algorithm. So um, <laughs> I'm so, sorry. I, yeah, I am, that I am, sounds highly <laughs> illegal. <laughs> I am a massive diversity advocate. So um, 
Um, I'm a sole female tech founder. There are not many of us, as Holly knows. <laughs> um, so we're actually 61% female on the dots. Um, someone gave me a bit of shit on Twitter for that, saying that uh, that wasn't very diverse. But actually, LinkedIn skews the other way. So if we're skewing the balance the other way, then I'm really happy with that. So we have rules like um, when we feature people, it always has to be over 50% female, always over 30% BAME, always over 15% LGBT. And it's just built on more. And that kind of feeds into the algorithm, which means we're surfacing fresh, brilliant, diverse talent all the time. Amazing. Amazing. And for you, Holly, in terms of that first moment when you knew that you were trying to create a community, how do you invite people in? Do do people automatically trust you? I hope they do now, yeah. You know, when creating Not On The High Street, I was the person who was on that phone to everybody to come on board. And at the time, people were asking me questions such as, um, do I need a computer or a printer to join this uh, internet business? And I was like, yeah, that would really, really oh, help. So is so this because, was, just this to is, take you back a little bit, from what I understand, you were dealing with, I mean, you were going around to fairs all around yep. the country. I was, so er, yeah, Erin Brockovich here. I was walking around fairs. I was selling the internet, if I'm honest with you. And it was an incredible wave of change but actually what we always did was even from the first day they got a media pack because I came from publishing and we created this beautiful media pack I think it was about five pounds per pack I mean completely not going to be happening today (laughs) but we wanted the small business to feel that they mattered and I think it was that relationship that we built from not only what we said but what we did right from the start you know so we, we we treated them with respect they weren't just a little craft company these were going to be our clients and we were going to treat them that way and presumably you moved a lot of people who otherwise would have been in a little country fair in Dumfriesshire or somewhere who've never had a computer at home to not only start yeah. being on the internet and we, getting wired but also to get their business out there further. out there we've created I mean for as I said from day one we nurtured a lot of small businesses and it's you know every single day at Holly & Co I now have a small business in my office I probably talk to two three a day um, I have a large community that I also try and virtually mentor as well but the thing about jargon busting and all these sort of things is that you know what we're going to try and do over the next decade in Holly & Co is trying to redefine business you know big business is small business actually starting to get rid of the imposter syndrome start telling them that you know if you don't know what a PL is or you don't have a business plan that's fine guess what no one else can make those pots and as amazing as you can what is a PL? Um, profit no yeah. <laughs> it's just too boring to even talk about but you know it, it, the thing is is that you you're know, encouraging everybody to we're be a encouraging a different way of doing business and I think just like Pip we are saying whatever you are whatever gender age demographic it doesn't matter if you have a small business and you want to launch it not on the high street's a brilliant platform for you and Holly and Co is going to be your virtual cheerleader where does that kindness come from where does that that desire to actually do something for other people and help other people come from and not be some sort of stereotypical, avaricious business I person? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's my mission in life. My, my purpose on this planet is to help other people. And I just think that we do that sometimes through charity and that actually you can do that through business. And I, I feel like I need to make a difference. And there's a lot of things that we're not talking about, such as entrepreneurism in our children and what they're learning um, to women in business. And there's a lot of, you know, shit happening in the world. And, you know, we've got 28,000 days on this planet and that's it. So my mission is to try and get us to concentrate on what matters 
try and live a really good life, balancing family and work and, as you said, having a career with purpose and hopefully bringing up the next generation to be more able to have that type of life than maybe Pip and I were when we started our careers. I have two uh, accomplished, beautiful women who, with huge intelligence in the Voom podcast studio. And this is the first time that two guests have both said shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which I find well, that's our jargon, isn't quite it? Quite fascinating. <laughs> isn't it? It's brilliant. I mean, people are literally going to be turning in their grades, you know. So, yeah, so business, you know, acronyms now have become the word shit. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. That's what we've done. Um... Pip, what have been your most successful marketing ploys in attracting freelancers? I think generally caring about what they care about. I mean, I think so many people try like marketing tricks and marketing tactics and all these kind of things. But I think the most important thing we do at The Dots is actually listen to our community and building a solution around what they care about. I mean, it's so wonderful hearing Holly now supporting the community. Mm. I mean, you must have heard that like firsthand when you're at Not on the High Street where people needed that additional support. And I think so many product owners don't really listen in terms of those preferences. So our community want purpose over paycheck you know I'm passionate about charities as well so we're completely free for all charities they get free reign of the dots they can hire everyone which on one side is something that I ethically believe in but Mm. on the other side that's what my community want to work on they would prefer to work for a charity and use their creativity for good and that's listening to about what they want as opposed to just doing some sort of quick marketing tactic um other things we do is we do um for example for international women's day we did a complete female takeover of the dots for a whole month so we only featured for a whole month um so we only featured female creative projects we only featured women um, businesses that were owned by women we did the same for black history month recently and the same for pride and we did it for a whole month and it wasn't really meant to be a marketing tactic it was just because i want to support those Mm. communities but then you suddenly got this massive viral effect where everyone was sort of supporting these we had these amazing lists of all these incredible leaders that went out those are great success stories what about the times that something hasn't worked um and i don't like to use the word failure but you know lessons learned yeah i mean the biggest challenge for me this is actually my second business so i started a business in australia um which i grew into being the biggest creative network over in australia and i moved over to london to launch that business over here at which point my then business partner got married he had a baby and he didn't want to risk the capital of expanding into to another region. So very long story short, I had to exit my business in Australia. I acquired the global technology rights. With all the money I made in Australia, I seed funded into starting the business over here again. So I went from startup to scale up, back to startup again. My husband asked me recently how much money is left in our Australian bank account, and I'm too scared to tell him. <laughs> so I hope you, you won't Do you want to, to just fess up now? <laughs> Don't, <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Howard, I do love you. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, you know, and, and half my team in Australia relocated over here to help me start again and so it was really grueling I mean when you have two founders that want to take a business in different directions it's really tough and um so yeah that was one of the biggest hard things to get Uh, and Holly what about you Uh, well you know what I have many many war scars I've got to say you know it's been a serious roller coaster the last 13 years but the fact is is that when we we don't like to say the word failure in a way, I'm I'm really one of the things I say is just own that failure, you know, because 
I've learned more than ever than when I was winning. You know, when you're mm. winning, everyone tells you what you want to hear and et cetera, et cetera. When you fall flat on your face and, you know, you need to go and see a you know therapist for a year just because of you falling on flat on your face, that's when the magic starts happening. Yeah. And that's where you get into a sign where you can actually start to evolve and move forward. So I, anyone launching a business... You know, you've got to be ready for those roller coasters. But that, with your happiness levels being at rocket high, you've got to know that that will always be matched with rocket lows. And so it's how you're going to cope. How do you create that network around you to pick you up off the floor and say, I know it's tough right now, but you just got to keep on going because we believe in you. And does that come down to the people that you choose to have around you in your business just as much as somebody yeah. at home? My family. You know, um, oh, you shouldn't say that your work colleagues are your family because you're the boss, et cetera, et cetera. Again, scrap it. <laughs> you know, the, the thing is, is scrap it because I spend so many hours with the people that I work with because we're on a mission. And it's not just a job. They have a job with purpose. It really matters to them. So this is my work family. I have my home family and I have my work family. And so I think that what we're going to see in the future is and certainly what I've watched through Not on the High Street is more and more family businesses being created, mm -hmm. you know, more and more. You know, I've worked with my sister for 13 years. My father's been the CFO of Not on the High Street for seven years, is now the CFO reluctantly um, for Holly & Co. <laughs> I will not let him retire. Um, you know, my son, we're building a business right now. He's going to sell in our shop that we have. My husband makes the food for the shop. And that brings me such joy that I can share what I'm doing with my family. And it's just not a nine to five or, you know, oh, I just don't want to talk about the day to day, darling. So how do you both um, actually balance the idea of profit versus purpose? Pip. I think for the first time in history, they're aligned. Um, I don't know if you're getting this, but because the generation coming through or the millennial generation or under 35s, um, they actually are using their money for good. So, you know, they will literally not spend money on unethical brands anymore. And so it means purpose is leading to profit now. And mm -hmm. so this is what I think is so exciting. And also you hear it in the investment community. A lot of the sort of very wealthy people out there are wanting to put their money to good as well. So I think for the first time in history, things are aligning. Holly, how does Holly and Co make... Uh, do I say Holly & Co or Holly & Company? Holly & Co. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because what I love is that you think it even stands for company, but it actually ah, stands for go. community, collaboration, cooperation. And the way that we're looking at it at the moment is we launched Holly & Co in a sort of subscription way where the small businesses were going to sign up and subscribe. And actually that fell flat on its face within two weeks because what I realised is subscribe to what in our small business community people like to they like to know you know when your budget is tight they like to know what they're getting so what i've decided now is um on that i listened to my community uh was a bit gutted for definitely 48 hours <laughs> flipped that around made everything that was going to be part of the community free and actually just started building the momentum. And now what we do is we mentor one-on-ones. Um, so we're building businesses and helping businesses and troubleshooting incredible companies who are having a rough time and um, starting to churn things around, be it their brand or product or how they're getting out there. And that is allowing us then also um, to work with some other brands who need our sort of creative small business thinking. And then that's going to build us to a point where maybe we will reintroduce the community again that you would pay to subscribe to because they understand what they're getting into and what they're going to be part of. 
And in terms of, we mentioned earlier that uh, your title at Not on the High Street yes. was Chief Inspirator. Yes. And we touched on the idea that this was, in a way, the beginning of dispensing with that sort of jargon yeah. and, and the language of business that for these very small groups of yeah. makers around the country that you were trying to encourage, that could have put them off. Yeah, but, but that's exactly why. You know, I've been founder, CEO, chair. I was the chair lady for seven years. So I was like, right, so what's the new one going to be? And it needs to be part of the C-suite, but it needs to almost have fingers up to the C-suite too. So it was chief inspirator. And you know what? Many, many more companies need to have that because it's about keeping the energy going, keeping the energy going in the right way, bringing the external thoughts internally, um, the outside world in, saying, you know, it's going to be tough, tough times, but it's okay because guess what? It was really, really tough in 2008, 9, 10. You know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And so, you know, and again, why I haven't given myself a title at Holly & Co, because it's not about that. You know, I'm I'm a cheerleader. Um, I like that, though. Chief yeah, cheerleader. Chief cheerleader. OK, well, there you go. There's your There's title. my title. It happened here today. <laughs> As we're talking about community, earlier this week, we sent our Voom reporter, Chris Reed to investigate other industries that are embracing the community spirit in unexpected ways. Having just come back from the final leg of the Voom tour in Dundee, he thought a beer might be in order first. So we've just arrived in a uh, relatively unassuming industrial estate in Tottenham, North London. Uh, there's pallets, there's forklift trucks, there's vans. But what makes this more exciting for me than most other industrial estates is what we're here for, beer. There's a load of malt going into a big old steel tank. There's a great smell of yeast and malt in the air. And uh, they're just about to load a tank full of hops. Today we're meeting Logan Plant who set out Beavertown Brewery just a few years ago to ask him how important the international community is when it comes to craft beer. So I'm here in the HQ of Beavertown. We've been visiting and looking around some of the giant fermenters here, smelling the mash going in and seeing some of the impressive, uh, the neck oil coming out, uh, <laughs> yeah. which I'm looking to taste a little bit of later on. Would you like to introduce yourself and yeah. tell us a bit of the history of Beavertown? Yeah, yeah. My name's Logan Plant. I'm the founder and owner of Beavertown Brewery. And I come from the West Midlands, from a little place called the Black Country. And yeah, it's got a massive pride in its brewing heritage. There's many great breweries up there that have been going for nearly 200 years and they still remain, you know, small and family owned and they might have 10 pubs, but I became obsessed and I just had dreams of opening a brewery from that day. I went into the music industry and, and the music took me to New York and that's where I drank craft beer and great barbecue and left the band within a week and came back and wrote a business plan to start a, an American style barbecue brew pub uh, with a brewery in it. And that was February 2012, so yeah, nearly six years ago. And since then, it's been a hell of a ride. <laughs> so let's go back to coming back from New York. You know, you decide, I want to be a brewer. Yeah. What's the first thing that you did? Did you go out and, uh, you know, get chemistry set? And pretty much, pretty much. I, uh, yeah, I had a shave, cut my hair, left the band, and then I bought a homebrew kit online. It cost me about 300 quid. I bought a bunch of books. I read a load of uh, sites on the on the internet, a load of different forums, loads of different kind of brew sites. I just immersed myself in brewing and teaching myself. And when did you sell your first brew? It was when we opened Duke's Brew & Q, which is our barbecue joint down in Haggerston. To be able to brew my beer 
and then hop on the bar and serve my beer and gain people's feedback instantaneously. You know, at that point, I learned so much, I think, from just listening to people. You know, of course, I knew what I wanted, but it was always good to get other people's opinions. And you talked about when you were um, sort of starting up, sort of devouring as much information as you get online, mm. on forums and things like that. One of the things that strikes me about the, you know, about especially about the brewing, the well, global brewing industry, yeah. is this willingness to support each other, to help each other, to offer advice and feedback. How much do you think you've benefited from that? And, you know, how much do you, do you play a part in that now? Massively, both, you know, the journeys that I've been on around the world and particularly over to America and to be introduced into that craft brewing scene if you like which is a good 15 years ahead of ours I think and the kind of fraternity if you like of men and women that have started the industry over there and are still going and are doing an amazing job and now it's actually you know a good 15 to 20 percent of the market there they might have been home brewers or just you know people with a bit of a dream but now they're like serious entrepreneurial business people you know and and to, are, you, are you swapping <laughs> recipes and yeah use? yeah so we collaborate for example collaboration is a great part of, of being within the industry so you know you exchange ideas and you learn from one another and i've learned so much from that and and the industry is so open because everybody wants it to do well you know it doesn't feel like it's competitive you know of course it is because the the, the market space the shelf if you like is getting tighter but overall everybody just wants great beer to be the winner and i think you know if you can collaborate on that and what about now i mean you're at the heart of a you know a vibrant community in in tottenham and in mm. london there's what 20 odd breweries within a couple of miles of here what's the collaboration like between between you guys it's great you know we again i think that community has grown and we help each other out so yeah for example just on the site now pressure drop have moved in they were a great brewery you know, if they're short on hops or vice versa. Yeah, it's a very open, open community. And again, we feel, I think, as a as a movement that there's so much more space out there for everybody to get their beer on the bar. And as you know, as long as it's great and it's a good representation of of, of great beer, then more the merrier. There's there's clearly a generosity of spirit within the whole yeah. um, industry. I mean you famously put on your extravaganza, your events here. Why do you do that? What, what, what's you know, what, what's in it for you? Well, we did it for the first time this year, just gone in September. Um, it's a two-day beer festival held in the Printworks down in Canada Water. 4,000 people a day, so two days, 8,000 people, 800 beers, 77 breweries from around the world. So it, it really is an extravaganza of awesomeness of everything that is craft beer. And there was just all sorts of revelry, basically. <laughs> so a celebration of, of beer and the people who make it. The aim was, you know, great if we could break even, but to put on the biggest showcase the, the world has ever seen um, to promote great beer. Again, I've been lucky enough to travel around the world and be invited to many great beer festivals, particularly in the US where they've, they do it so, so well. And to take inspiration from that and bring it back and put it into what we've done. So you're basically buying them around? Yeah, basically, yeah. Come over to my place and we'll have a party, but invite 8,000 people to enjoy what you do and for you to stand there and serve it to them. So that was that was a big part of it as well. So that interaction and education from the brewers to the, to the people. And it's about making London a beer capital again, you know, in the UK. I mean, we, you know, we've talked a lot about your growth and the community side of things, but do you have any bits of advice for, for startups? You know, what are some of the mistakes that you've made that you could pass on to them or indeed some of the quick wins? The most important thing is that if you're making something that you have to be super, super proud of it, there's no... And you have to be obsessively into it. You can't just think, OK, I'm going to brew beer, brew beer because beer's cool. You've got to brew beer because you love it. You've got to make a recipe that you love. You've got to come up with a label that you absolutely hang your hat on. Otherwise, how are you ever going to go out there 
and talk about it like it's your baby, you know. You've really got to treat it like that. And then also it's, it's bringing in the right kind of person that suits the business, suits you. Yeah, investing in as much as you can in your in your equipment, you know, in your quality, because you want to take people on this journey. You want them to come with you. And you're only going to do that by being excellent and by being yourself and by standing for something that is true to you and true to an excellent product and an excellent experience for the drinker. And what about for you know other industries? How important is being a part of a network of entrepreneurs? Is it important, do you think, when setting up a business? Yeah, to, I think so. To look at it and go, that's exactly the way I'm feeling. Oh, that's the reason I did that as well. And, you know, it gives you that, that kind of backing that you're doing the right thing. But I think, you know, whether it's beer or I was part of a talk a few months ago with a couple of other entrepreneurs who'd started food brands. And we all had the same drive, you know. It was to create something brilliant and to execute it perfectly, you know. And I think entrepreneurs, they all come from the same mindset, I think. You know, we've we've gone from your three hundred pound online kits yes. through to your first pub and yeah. warehouse, and then here. What next for uh, Beaver Town? Yeah, I intend to build another, a bigger brewery, and to get more and more great beer out there. I want great craft beer on every street corner. Well, I can honestly say, for both uh, personal and professional reasons, <laughs> I, I wish you every success, Logan Plant. Thank you very much for your time. Our oh, pleasure. Thanks. Thank you there to our reporter Chris Reed and to Logan Plant from Beavertown Brewery. Great stories of collaboration happening in an industry that was once so secretive. Chris will be back later in the show to tell us about the Voom Pioneers Network, Virgin Media Business's very own community that's helping businesses connect and share advice. Back in the studio now with Holly Tucker of Not on the High Street and Holly and Co. Fame, and Pip Jamieson from The Dots. Can you both tell me what have been your most memorable or surprising collaborations in terms of what you've witnessed through your businesses? Holly? Oh, gosh. Um, Maybe something that's happening right now. Um, We've launched a campaign called Campaign Shop Small, and it's about raising awareness for how our pound can cast the vote on the sort of world that we want to live in. And if we want to have that butcher on our high street for the next generation, or if we want to be able to support small businesses, then we better wake up and smell the coffee and stop being asleep at the wheel. Because actually, we have the power to support these small businesses. And so we've launched this campaign. And so suddenly, I just put it out there, um, you know, would anyone like to create artwork? Or would you like to support this? How would you like to support this? And the next day, we just got all these boxes filled with this most creative artwork, flags, campaign banners, stitched felt um, woodwork. Um, it was absolutely unbelievable. And there, there it was. We were collaborating. We were collaborating on a shared mission. I was using my power through social and they were using their power through their creativity. And this happens every day for mm. me, but this was in- truly amazing. Pip, what about you? The most memorable or surprising collaboration? Oh, my, my one that gave me goosebumps recently is we did this massive list for Black History Month which featured 100 incredible black creators and I got an email last week from a guy called Adrian who um, got invited 
posted to number 10 Downing Street because they spotted the list and I was like, I got complete goosebumps and so that was amazing. The other thing is because we also support so many sort of charities and pro-social initiatives, also Profit for Good, it's basically helping them find creatives to help with their ideas. There's lots of people having brilliant ideas out there. They don't know how to actually execute on those ideas. So an example is in London right now, obviously we know there's a massive homelessness project. We've been supporting this incredible startup who are trying to do contactless machines so Mm -hmm. you can actually give contactless to people on the street that pays for like a hostel or some food um, from the supermarket and we've been helping him build a creative team around him by promoting it across the site and that's my favorite bit that's wonderful you're both setting such great examples also it's it's fascinating to have two women sitting in the studio who just sit and listen and smile encouragingly (laughs) when the other one's talking and nod it's wonderful this is you know a podcast so you can't see it sadly but I'm witnessing (laughs) and feeling this Uh, so we've talked about your positions being advocates for small businesses and the creative industry as a whole but you're also notable mentors and role models specifically as we've just touched on for women so Pip do you think being a woman has shaped your business journey in very particular ways Ah, absolutely I mean Holly I mean the fact Holly started a tech business back in, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You know, even me coming through, there are so few role models in tech, Holly being one of the incredible ones. Um, it does. It has its massive advantages being a woman. Mm. Um, you know, I have found that I have punched way above my weight in terms of some of the mentors that I have because there's some brilliant men out there that really want to see more women coming through the ranks. Holly and I actually share some shareholders, like the amazing Sir John Hegarty, who's been really supportive of me you know so there are huge advantages there are disadvantages things like you know it's still only three percent of uh, VC money goes to female founders or co-founders which is completely shocking um, so there are some really tough things I think you know just like Holly I've embraced my femininity I, I did get advice once you know if you want to go into this business act like a man I was like I just can't I can't fake it mm. you know I mm-hmm. hug my team I mm-hmm. occasionally hug my shareholders which slightly freaks them out um, <laughs> I um, I I, I am a woman and, and I embrace being a woman leader and I listen and I and but you know that has that has problems I mean I, I've been reverse mentoring actually a number of VCs recently and I found that the way that they're currently judging uh, founders is they're looking for very masculine traits so for example they'll throw a question at you about your business which is completely off topic or an idea for your business now as women we tend to listen and we don't dismiss it but what they're looking for someone is to say that's a ridiculous idea this is exactly how it should be But this is how women are not getting backed because VCs are actually looking for pure masculine traits. But I think being a woman has massive advantages in terms of leadership and bringing that family together and that team together as well. Mm. So, Holly, I I, I read that when you were looking for funding for Not on the High Street, potential investors didn't take the idea of two women selling crafts very seriously. So you must have navigated situations like that a lot. Yeah. Still do. Do you? Yeah. Do you know what? You know, the whole VC land for me is just one that is, uh, guess why? Guess why they're asking those questions? Because, you know, probably 95% of all VCs are, are male. And actually, we've got to break down how people can start to fund their businesses in different ways. We've got to look at how the cheerleaders, the champions, the people who believe in what you're doing can actually put their money behind an idea. So that's why I'm the biggest advocate now 
now to all those who I mentor or virtually mentor about crowdfunding, about um, asking your friends and family even to start with, then moving on to who is your fan base, your customer. There is a tidal change, I think, happening, right, in the whole female conversation. So I'm one that's very, very pleased about that. Um, I used my femininity absolutely at the start of um, Not On The High Street. You know, two women who raised money or were creating a tech company or creating Not On The High Street, we got the front pages of things and we've got the interviews and, you know, so we we def- definitely used it. We support a 90, you know, Not On The High Street, 95% female partners, 95% customers are female. So it really helps, right, that you know who your customer is because that's part of the the cause. So the fact that I have a small business, I now have a little shop um, on the high street so that I could start to work the muscle of learning what an independent on the high street is feeling. Mm. So I believe in, you know, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And so the fact is that I now am a little small business. So I really do now can really put myself in their shoes and start to have those conversations with them because only when they can trust me that we can have proper conversations would I be able to maybe use some influence that I do have to move things for good. If there are women entrepreneurs listening who could stand on the shoulder of you two as giants, what would be the one piece of advice that you would give them? Looking back to what you've both been through uh, from the start of your businesses, a, a piece of advice that they could use to start their careers. Pip? I think it's all about perseverance. And it was brilliant hearing Holly. And we are agreeing with each other the whole way through, but it's so true. It was brilliant hearing Holly about the roller coaster ride and the lows. I've I've got I, I weirdly enjoy the lows now. It maybe sounds a bit sadomasochist, but um the reason being is because I learn so much when things are going wrong. Mm. And I think it's shifting that brain mentality. It is hard. And as women, we do have barriers that some of our male counterparts don't have, but instead of sort of getting angry about it, use it to your advantage. Exactly what Holly was saying. Use the the fact you get more press. Use the fact that you can get really brilliant male mentors that want to help you, help you. And just all those negative bits that kind of creep in, persevere through. I've seen so many startups fail over the years, not because they didn't have a, a great idea or they didn't have the funding. It's because they, when they hit those hard times, they didn't push on through and you have to just got to push on through. So persevere from Pip. What about you, Holly? It's to trust your gut instinct. I think, you know, people don't quite realise that we're inbuilt with our own compass. Um, we know when something is right and we know when something is wrong. I think women are absolutely in tune with their internal compass. And I think so for me, that is, I feel one of my secret weapons, my sort of superpower in a sense. And I think women are so in tune with that and that the egos are so low, um, which is a fantastic thing, <laughs> um, that they can actually hear their internal compass because some people's egos are so loud, they can't even hear them. So I think it's an amazing thing that women have this internal compass and that you need to listen to it from hiring staff to the next decision, where do you get your money from, how do we move forward, knowing that it's just going to be okay. I just sort of can't tell you why. I can't give it to you in an Excel spreadsheet, Mm -hmm. but I do know it's going to be okay. 
I think that's the thing. And it's not silly. It's not silly. It's an amazing tool that we have. Oh, my God, Holly, I love that you just said that. I had this <laughs> massive debate last week. I, you know, in the end, we are like, we are the most sophisticated robots there are out that, there. You 100%. Know? And yeah, there is absolutely. things that we take on subconsciously that we then connect together. That, and and tr- trusting your gut is so unbelievably important. And I think it was Steve Jobs who said he trusted his gut over anything. And it, over everything. And it was so funny because I, my team says I'm like the canary in the mine. So... You know, I'll pick things up just subconsciously and then we'll use data to back it up. So, you know, there's so many entrepreneurs that are just looking at the data, data but sometimes yes. that doesn't lead to innovation. And so funnily enough, you need instinct and, and intuition. intuition. Well, it's, your data is only as good as who's reading it, right? Exactly. So, and you'll find if you actually have a very intuitive and someone who's very, very connected to everything we've just spoken about, mm. who reads that data, they can make those decisions, but they've actually made the decisions already. Mm. That's, that's when you've got something. It's when the data is proving what you already know. Absolutely. Having a network of people you can talk to and share advice with is a really important thing, whatever stage you're at in your business journey. I hand over now to Chris Reed to tell us more about the Voom Pioneers Network. So I can't believe it's the end of the tour up in Dundee. We've been to 10 cities all around the UK and we've seen, what, 60 amazing pitches. We've had 10 pitch winners, all of whom will get to meet Richard Branson and have earned £5,000 each for their startup. I think one of the things that's really stood out, though, is this great sense of community. People may be pitching against each other, but yeah, they're so interested in each other's ideas and they're so interested in helping each other succeed. It's been absolutely excellent to watch. And of course, at Virgin Media Business, we have our own community, Voom Pioneers. Here's Peter Kelly. I'm Peter Kelly, and I'm the Managing Director of Virgin Media Business. So Voom for us is the overall investment that Virgin Media Business is making in supporting small businesses and startup businesses in the UK. And therefore, there's many elements to it. There's a a Voom pitch competition where, of course, Small businesses can come and pitch to win sharing a million pounds prize money. So that's in itself is helping a large number of businesses achieve their goals, either through just entering the competition and pitching and and how that has benefit uh, right the way through to the actual winners who do get their hands on that million pounds. But we've also then got product sets within Voom. As you know, Voom Fiber is a phenomenal market leading broadband product that's helping companies accelerate their own businesses through fulfilling their digital potential. And we've got a groundbreaking product in, in Voom Fiber. But actually increasingly what I see Voom as, is as a community. We're bringing together a set of, in many ways, like-minded startups and entrepreneurs who understand the importance of being innovative and being digital. And in fact, what they're doing as a community beyond the competition is actually sharing with one another. You know, they're sharing best practices. There is a community growing, which is increasingly now becoming the Virgin Pioneer community. And we now have tens of thousands of businesses that have entered the competition, become associated with Virgin Media Business over the last three or four years, and they are growing month on month. And I think that's what we're excited about Voom's future, is is it's going to grow and grow into a bigger and bigger community of small startup businesses. So what is the Voom Pioneers Network? On the one hand, it's a community of like-minded entrepreneurs. Think of it like uh, Facebook or LinkedIn for startups, I guess. On the other hand, it's a place to go and make connections which might well lead to new business. 
So whether you're a small business looking for advice on uh, accountancy or social media advertising, or whether you're a small business who wants to help other small businesses out, and we know there are thousands of them out there, get involved in the Voom Pioneers community. It's completely free. It's a self-help network for startups and entrepreneurs all around the country. Just check out and search for Voom Pioneers online, sign up, and if you sign up, you'll be the first to know about our Voom competition next year as well. Thank you, Chris. And remember, if you'd like to become part of the Pioneers Network, just search Voom Pioneers to find out more. It's free, so what's stopping you? Holly and Pip, what would be your top networking tips, Pip? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I live on a houseboat. Uh, so I the best networking tip I have is inviting people to the houseboat. When I first arrived How in... How big is it? It's, it's, um, it's like a Rosie and Jim boat. So it's seven foot wide, but it's 74 foot long. Um, so And it's on the Regent's Canal. And when I first got to London from Australia, no one was no one was answering my cold emails. And then I started inviting people on the boat. So I do a lot of my networking on the boat. Wow. Um, so I think having that kind of USP that you can kind of pull people in. And the other thing is smile. Like as soon as you smile at someone... And you walk up they're just more open to a conversation i think it's one of the most underrated things to do at a networking event people just everyone's a bit nervous everyone's a bit scared of walking up to other people but if you've got a big smile suddenly you're way more approachable and more people want to chat to you excellent advice holly what's yours I think also it's about picking the right type of networking. So when you're an entrepreneur or you're super busy running a small business, networking can go to the bottom of the list. Um, And it certainly did for me. You know, um, I didn't have enough hours in the day just to run the company, let alone what I would think was a sort of pleasure thing to do in terms of networking. And now I realise actually pick the right things to network pick the group of people that you feel if you've got a business problem and you need to solve it so you can maybe pick a networking event to sort of spearhead that solution or like-minded people I don't think all networking is fantastic because I think there can be cultures within networking which is what can you give me Mm. I don't really like that but um, I recently met a fantastic founder of a company called HubDot who do dots rather than having your name and your position um it actually has dots so different colored dots means i'm here because i've got a problem i'm here because i've got a story to tell what so we have I'm to l- learn a new language of dots to, to just figure four it colors out. just four colors oh, okay and 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 everyone comes along and it allows you your first thing you have to say is not what you do and who you are and your position but more about what your dot means so right. i've got a story to tell you so you just start telling ah, a story that's interesting and it's a really very it's very female and it's fantastic i think it's over 30 countries now that they've got this which is creating a different type of conversation than so sorry what's your name and your position Mm. and what do you do Mm. and I think that can be very very stale so I love the fact that this is moving networking forward excellent dots everywhere yeah, I didn't know what to do. That's almost it for the podcast today and indeed for this series. A couple of questions to wrap up, though. If you weren't doing what you do now, which one business do you wish you'd started? Pip Jamieson. Ooh. Oh, listen to them. 
my husband always jokes that I'd never not do this. Um, uh, do you know what? I, I am absolutely in love with the um, contactless homeless project. Right. And if I wasn't doing this right now, I would be trying to support him more. I just think, you know, it is solving a real world problem. We don't have change in our pockets anymore. How, how can we make a more positive impact? So, yeah, I, I do that, but I just love this too much. <laughs> <laughs> Holly, what oh about you? Oh, my goodness, I don't know. I, um, I well, quite, I, I quite like to have started the dots, you know. <laughs> I think, you know, what Pip's done is absolutely incredible. It's, it's so disruptive and it's doing good and it's bringing creativity that we would have never, ever found. Like, not in the high street, we never would have found these companies. We would never have found these creatives. And so I think that's a, that's a pretty great company. But again, I, I seriously love what I do. So Holly, you're hired. No. <laughs> <laughs> What's my title going to be? <laughs> Chief Inspiration oh. <laughs> Thank you both so very much. Um, my guests, Pip Jameson from The Dots and Holly Tucker from Holly & Co. Also, a huge thanks to Logan Plant from Beavertown Brewery and to our man on the road, Chris Reed, for all his reports throughout this season. The Voom podcast will be back in the new year in the build-up to the main Voom competition, where a million pounds worth of prizes and business support is on the line. If you'd like to sign up to pitch, you can head to virginmediabusiness.co.uk slash voom, where you can also find out about Voom Fibre, the ultra-fast business broadband network from Virgin Media Business. But until then, from me, Nikki Beatty, goodbye. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.